I just think like having somebody be in charge of rural technology in the company, right, would be yeah. such a good role for somebody that's 26 that can say, okay, here's the report. Hello, this is Michael Kelleher and the mobile patio is open. I am really lucky today to have a guest uh, because of a mobile patio clubhouse we're doing. So Sarah Gonzalez has given us some time today to sit down at the mobile patio and talk about leadership as well as what her views are on innovation and where the industry is going. Uh, thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you jumping on here. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. And so did a little bit of research as quickly as I could here in mobile patio style. So you are a recent Vanguard award winner, which is for those not in the mortgage industry, it is one of the highly um, regarded awards that uh, I think I've applied a couple of times, haven't been able to make the, the cut, but it's, it's certainly something that uh, you should be very proud of. And then in 2019, you were a woman of influence and going back to 2017, uh, one of 75 uh, women recognized by, what is it, Mortgage Professional Magazine. You get each award and, and you keep moving forward. So uh, very cool of you. What was it like uh, hearing that you won the, the Vanguard Award? Uh, actually, um, pretty shocking. Um, you know, I think it's always interesting when people nominate you for things and you don't really know and eventually you find out and you're like, wow, okay, well, this is interesting. I mean, my mentor, um, who is uh, Kathleen Vaughn, um, she uh, won one of these awards um, when I worked at a previous company. And um, I just remember how distinguished she was. She'd been in the industry for quite some time and still is today. And uh, so to get one of those awards um, at this point in my career and, and specifically at my age uh, was surprising, but um, very humble um, to have received it and appreciate what it what it represents as far as um, being kind of an industry leader and somebody that stands out in our industry. So, okay, so that's a we were going to get here. So this is a great place to go there. So Kathleen was a mentor in the first episode of Mobile Patio. I spoke with Mark Helm, who's been in the industry forever, and we talked a lot about mentorship. So when you first went into the industry, if for those out there who are curious of the journey, you started as a processor, right? Like, and, and did you think you're going to be a lifer in the mortgage uh, industry or? So, so like, here's the, even the craziest twist processor on a mobile home lot, right. In a very small town in Kaufman, Texas. So, um, you know, when you talk about like starting into this industry, you're talking about like learning the basics from a receptionist and basically learning how to uh, get in touch with these banks and find find financing for these customers that are coming in and buying, you know, manufacturer mobile homes. So, um, you know, back then, um, you know, it was just do or die. I mean, back then I just tried to soak up as much information as possible. And there were people that probably mentored me along the way that I didn't even realize what they were doing for me at the time. Probably wasn't until later uh, in my career um, that I started to recognize certain people that um, had attributes and had titles and had kind of the same humanistic approach that I have to leadership. 
um, that I really started identifying and really started clicking with certain people. And, you know, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty transparent, pretty vulnerable person. I'll come up and ask somebody that I have a lot of respect for and say, you know, can we just like go out and have lunch? I have some questions for you, you know, and I want that good and trusted um, feedback. And, you know, I've had I've had more than one mentor. Um, I still do today. Um, there are people that have stuck with me and um, I thank them for their contribution and they've helped me to grow over the years. And quite frankly, while I put a lot of work in to get to where I'm at today, there is a piece of me that believes that I would not be in the place that I am today without that mentorship. So, yeah, we can't stress enough mentorship. And so, and oftentimes, I get. I think when you first start out, you don't know who that mentor is going to be. I think maybe technology's changed a little bit with the millennials and Instagram, and maybe you go find that that influence, or you, you watch enough videos that promotes you to go do it. But I, it was probably more happenstance. Would you say emulate somebody that is like in close proximity to you, or somebody that is in a position of where you you want to be? What would be Ah, I, I mean, that's a great question, Mike. Um, you know, a lot of my mentorships have happened organically, right? Where, you know, I've either worked for somebody that um, I, I see more than just a boss, somebody that lives outside the same way that they live inside the office and vice versa. And, um, you know, really attracted to people like that, very drawn to people like that. So I don't know that I ever like ever seeked out a mentor to say like, you know, hey, you ran this huge business and I want to learn how to do that um, and be that someday. I think I always knew that I would somewhat have a, a like I have kind of an entrepreneurial um, skill set anyways. Um, I've always been that way. I've kind of been independent, work kind of by myself and work really well with teams as well. Um, very drawn to people. So you know, for me personally, um, a lot of these relationships were super organic. Um, but on the flip side, you know, I have been a mentee to -hmm. folks that are coming to, um, you know, try to figure out how do they get to that next level? Like what guidance can I give them? What resources can I, um, direct them to, um, you know, how do they better themselves? What are kind of the boxes that they have to check, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, while my relationships have been a little bit more organic, I have mentored people that, um, really kind of just need like that check the box um, person to help tell them like, what's my next step and what's my next step. And then eventually over time, it becomes uh, a little more personal in nature, right? Not so yeah. robotic. Um, but I like that more kind of um, like that feeling like, wow, we get along, you know, we have some similarities. We may disagree on some point. So there's some healthy debate in that relationship. Um, but again, you know, I've had it, I've, I've seen it done both ways. So. I can already tell one of the reasons you were able to get to where you are is maybe it's the entrepreneurial, but you seem to be able to read the room really well and understand, you know, what, what people are thinking or what their characteristics are and which ones you, you want to emulate. So I could see you sit there, like at first, like you don't really know where you're exactly going. So you sit down, grab somebody for lunch and you say, oh, that lunch was really good. Can we do it again sometime? And, and you, you have more yeah. to talk about. Whereas somebody goes to you now, I think that's the next level of, of leadership. Like when you hit a certain place where you actually have to start managing people. And I think 
that, you know, that's another level. And so going to people that have managed before, you want to actually have time to bring something to the table and not get stuck just managing people the whole time. So I, I can right. see why going to you in right. that area is something people definitely need. Yep. Um, and, you know, I do that in our own organization. Um, you know, I pretty much have an open door policy. Um, you know, some people might find that to be intrusive or disruptive to some degree, but I really, really believe that our industry today is hungry for knowledge. People want to know how to move on with their career. Um, you know, we have the titans of our industry that, you know, will be handing the keys to the castle over to other folks. And I want to do that much earlier in my career. I don't want to wait 20 years from now to start, you know, developing folks. I think it starts at a very uh, early part of the entry into the business. Um, I'm very, very big. Um, for those that know me um, and have heard me speak before, you know, I, I was uh, originally going to be a teacher and um, got into this crazy business, made a lot of money and said, forget that I'm <laughs> going into the mortgage industry. But, you know, I think those same skills kind of resonate with me still today. And so, you know, I think people are hungry for knowledge. They want to they don't want to just be told what to do. They want to know the why of what they're doing. How does it impact the next person in the line? What does it happen when it leaves our firm? You know, and I think being able to educate people on, you know, the broader scope of things. Right. Yes, you still have widgets that you need to complete every day. But I think a very strong understanding of how, you know, how the clock works uh, is very, very important to, you know, telling time. So uh, I think, you know, that resonates with a lot of folks that are in my organization specifically. Um, and, you know, they feel engaged. They feel like they're part of the know, the part of the group that, you know, kind of understands what what's going on from beginning to end. So. And this is where I have so much trouble as a somebody that interviews because there's so many places that I want to go back to where we were, but then you bring like, but then talk about what you're where you're going with it. So and that's why I think Clubhouse is so valuable because those people that want to go learn, right, get a chance to hear you. And I think one area where it seems on the origination side, people have gone through a mortgage or, or know somebody that has gone through a mortgage. So you sort of get, obviously, from an innovation standpoint, it's still hard to figure out that payload. And you're going to talk about that on Clubhouse about fulfillment how outsourcing, you know, might make sense, but then where they really get to hear you or maybe where these people come for your mentorship and where Clubhouse can really unlock some doors is you don't get to hear that high risk world of post-close managing the loan, where it sells, because after I close a loan in my house, I don't know what happens to it. I don't know what a Fannie Mae cash window is. I don't know if the company that... I've never heard of somebody that doesn't have my mortgage, but I have to pay them. And so you have all this knowledge. You've been on that side of, of the world. So I think going there and understanding that better is um, Clubhouse, other than conferences, is the only place that th those people can have access to that knowledge. Right. No, I I, I 100% agree, Mike. Um, you know, I do a lot of these types of things. Um, you know, MBA was probably the last session I would say I did um, specifically around outsourcing. And, you know, people come there for knowledge. Um, some people are doing it. Some people aren't doing it. Um, the people that aren't doing it, you want to understand the why. Can you answer any questions as to 
why they may not, maybe they tried and it failed, um, but they were missing like one key link. Um, and so, you know, being able to like um, collaborate and be able to kind of share your experiences. And then there's just the black and white of it, right? This is how our business runs. Um, if you, you know, want to manage fixed costs, these are some of the things that you're going to have to look at um, because technology, unfortunately, while we want to believe it can fix everything, this is still a very much um, person-to-person business. And uh, there are just some things that, you know, you have to look at from a human capital perspective and um, you want to be able to, um, you know, incorporate some variable costs so that, you know, when times are great, you can scale up. When times are bad, you know, you're able to adjust accordingly without having, you know, reputational impact to your organization. Um, and it builds trust with your organization as well, right? Um, at first, people tend to look at outsourcing as though, you know, this is something bad. People are coming in and going to take jobs. No, that there's yeah, that. I mean, even regionally, I, I mean, you can see that where you go into a certain region of the country and they, they say, you know, is it onshore, offshore? And, and that makes a a difference maybe in their their decision because there's benefits to to both right but at the end of the day like internal external like sometimes you do have to let some things go so that you can manage ultimately probably the most important thing which is the people and right. their experience around home ownership yeah i mean last year was a really good example where all of us, you know, including myself, had to really kind of take a look at, oh my gosh, how are we going to keep up with all this volume? We know it's not going to last forever, right? And so you have to make adjustments in your organization. You got to be able to pull some different levers. We definitely, you know, and, and I kind of drill everything down to like three main things. It's either people, process, or technology. And sometimes you have to use accumulation of those items. Sometimes it's just a lever on one of them, but you got to be able to manipulate those, not manipulate, but work those levers in a way that um, are beneficial to your business and what you're trying to achieve from a strategy perspective. Yeah, or as you you coined the term, go beyond, right? So I'm guessing go beyond it applies to the people, the process and the technology, not just one of those, right? Yeah, yeah. And and funny thing, you know, our organization, I, I hold a strategic kickoff every um, January when we start the year and really kind of socialize what we're doing as an organization from a strategic standpoint, but also budgeting. And we coin a phrase every year that we live by. So this year is delivering excellence. Um, okay. And so going beyond was what was um, last year's phrase. And it was really, really important because um, with the current executive team here at FGMC, you know, we are, um, you know, I started in 2018 and many of the other executives started around that time as well. And, you know, we, we wanted to build something really, really great here. And we did a really good job of doing that. Now it's like, okay, the standard is set. Now we got to go beyond. Right. And we try to coin those phases, uh, phrases every year. And it gives, gives everybody kind of a sense of purpose for that particular year. Yes, we need to do everything well, but sometimes when you're focusing on everything, uh, nothing gets done. So, um, you know, we want to be able to drive focus and, and, um, you know, part of that employee engagement um, piece as well. So, Yeah. I, so I find like the boardroom, there's a disconnect between like the boardroom and then the eating your own dog food out in the field, sort of testing sometimes mm -hmm. and the overreaction when it, it didn't taste like it was supposed to versus 
you know, okay, like we actually don't eat that type of dog food. So I guess what I'm getting at is talking to the Sarah back that was a processor in Texas in the, in the mobile home area. Like, do you find that this, for example, most boardrooms maybe aren't in a rural area. So like in, in mobile, it could be everything's on 3G there, or it could be that the primary access to internet actually is mobile phones and therefore there's less laptops out there. Um, what would you say to the board as somebody representing the, the rural uh, troops in the field <laughs> that, that people don't understand in the city about, about rural from a technology standpoint? Yeah, I, I, I mean, um, so I have a second property out in rural East Texas and um, I'm on like 40 megs, right, for, for speed. We're in my house here in the Dallas area, it's much like 200, right? Um, and so, um, you know, look, I, I, you know, it's, it's, I too have experienced that as well. And, you know, from a technology perspective, I don't know how much we as an industry can influence, right? Because some of that just becomes down to the provider level um, and, or, you know, find ways for us to be innovative and, and be able to make those corrections. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up because, um, you know, a lot of us are recovering from last year and people are starting to make decisions on how they want to approach their employees and whether or not it's like coming back to the office 100% of the time. You know, is it a hybrid solution? Do you let folks work from home? Um, you know, there's a lot to think about around that. And, and quite frankly, even in our own organization, you know, I hired who was best for the job last year. I didn't care whether they were located in Dallas or not. I hired the best person for the job. So I didn't care if they were in Wisconsin, you know, uh, California, Florida, wherever the case may be. And so now as we look to transition right in the latter part of this year into a more strategic and stable um, work environment, questions like what you just asked are going to become very important. Um, one, because not everyone lives in the city, but two, we are actually starting to see, and, and I'm one of these people, right, where I've not permanently moved, but people are starting to now go out into the more rural areas, um, you know, and, and um, you know, get away from the city, right, because if this happens again, they don't want to be in a claustrophobic environment, they want to be able to, you know, have their space, get out, um, be outside of the city. And so this will become more and more of a question um, from a mortgage industry standpoint, you know, again, unless somebody's willing to open a cable company that can <laughs> provide internet service for everyone out in those areas, you know, you have to rely on what you have. I mean, there, there's not a plethora of providers out there that, you know, you can, you can select from, right? I, yeah, I can't no, get I, BIOS, I can't get fiber optics out, out at the other property, right? I'm just stuck with what I have, so. Part of me thinks the answer within the industry is there's, like you said, there's so many young, little bit hungrier because they see a bigger ocean out there because of social media. They just have more, a view of everything, right? Like they mm -hmm. could, if you went on 2020 vision with Christine Beckwith and then they're following, now they have access to Sarah where 30 years ago, they would, I don't know, have to be in, in a, some sort of, a place where, where you are. I guess with that said, I, I feel like there should be titles given like everything is just so titled out from 40 years ago. Like you're either a transaction coordinator, a processor, an underwriter, and you can get your CMB. But I, I just think like having somebody be in charge of 
rural technology in the company, right? Would be (laughs) such a good role for somebody that's 26 that can say, okay, here's the report. We're getting failouts on tax return uploads because once you get over 40 megabytes, I want to report back. It's not XYZ software. It is this. I am working on providing excellence, right? Like, and I will continue to give you an update on which areas that we're providing this and how we can better explain it. But yeah. you know, our findings are you don't need to cancel the technology. We just need to either build a wire cable from Sarah's right. new company or. <laughs> and I think this goes. Fiber optics. Yeah, right? on fiber optics. Yeah. And, and I think this goes down the line. I just think there's there's a lot of technology roles that maybe some would consider just titles, but I, I do think there's a need for it because what's killing the industry is, I always love the phrase, you know, the grass is like, they say the grass is greener on the other side and just water your own grass. And so there's a lot like technology is not adopted, obviously at the rate that you're being sold where it's supposed to work. So right. maybe not, you know, not at least across the board. And so I think right. it's just, there's not enough champions for each tech. It's just like the whole stack. And, and that's a, that's a mountain to move. So you know, one of the other things, Mike, and, and I just heard this yesterday, actually, but, and I know California deals with this a lot on the rolling blackouts, but this is going to become like a new thing for Texas, right? Where now I have to not only deal with, you know, folks that may live in more rural areas, but now, regardless if you live in a rural area or the city, you know, we're going to now have to participate in rolling blackouts, not only for the winter storm we had earlier this year, but the now freezing windmills, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think you really have valid points there and definitely have given me something to consider internally with my own firm. But I mean, like, how how do we prepare for stuff like that? How do we ensure that we can still, you know, move forward and have that continuity of business when things like that happen? So. And and by the way, I saw that you created a complete COVID night. This is how. So I'm like 2020. Like, how did she already build it? I, it just for me, it's like 2020 was a lost year. I was like, oh yeah, COVID was mostly 20. For some reason, I thought it was 2021. But you created an entire remote marketplace full of inspirational videos and just to keep, because it, it got pretty lonely and you realized if you thought your house was big and you had a newborn like me and you realize how loud you talk on Zoom calls, you realize your house is not very, very big. And so it gets the wall start creeping in. So it sounds like, that resource really helped with the uh, internal communication and, and culture, which is so, it'll always be important, this culture kind of moving forward, right? Oh, yeah. I, I have a fantastic marketing team here. Um, and, um, you know, we as a firm, uh, we're starting our planning back in end of November, early December of 19. So, you know, we somewhat knew something was going to happen. And we had started talking about the what ifs and uh, everything from like, how do we move everyone to remote then to, okay, once we get them a remote now, what do we do? Right. So those plan, those plans came together very early in 2020 and we were able to roll them out fairly quickly. Um, But a lot of it is just, I mean, common sense leadership, right? People want to still hear from people, um, you know, and there's got to also be an acceptance of like people are at home, like people are so worried about their dog barking and the newborn crying. And, you know, I, I kind of preface some of my calls at, after five o'clock Central Standard Time with, hey, there might be a five year old bogey that, you know, comes <laughs> comes in here and then runs out like I can't, you know, there's there's some of those things like, you know, that you just can't help. And so I think some acceptance around that, right, where maybe pre-COVID, 
it would have been frowned upon very, very yeah. Clearly with the dogs barking in the background because the FedEx guy's there, you know? I like that part of it. I liked how people got a little bit more. Um, it's like when you're two minutes late for a meeting and someone's like, well, I'm just going to call it off. You shouldn't have been late. And it's like, okay, coach, like you want me to run two laps too? But um, now at least there's like some understanding that things are, are, are crazy at home and you can't control it. And if you can't go into the office, like what technology did you guys use for communication? Like, is it something you didn't use before or is it something you already had and you had to just expand on it? Or did you so just use old fashioned email? We did switch um, platforms from a, um, uh, we, we moved from Skype to Teams. Um, mm -hmm. it, was just, it was just easier, better connectivity. Um, we tried GoToMeeting. We had a lot of connectivity issues with them. So no offense to those that uh, use that. Just didn't work for our firm, right? Um, with the size of the firm that we are. So, um, you know, I hold team meetings and they can be an upwards of 130 people on a call. And so you got to have a sustainable platform that you're able to meet with folks. Otherwise, your calendar gets um, clogged up with many little one-off meetings, right? So yep. I, I need to be able to like get the troops together and, and talk to them. Same thing from an all hands perspective, you know, our CEO holds all hands calls every, every, every month. And we do a lot of team meetings and one-on-ones. And so we needed a platform that could support that. Um, we uh, really built off of our intranet. Um, so, you know, we have used that intranet before and we've, we've had it for a couple of years, but man, that thing really came to life um, last year. And we've now continued to use it, um, you know, to promote new products, um, to get people talking to each other because it, it's very much like a social media platform where you can go in and, you know, post stuff and, and like things and, and do some recognition and, and stuff like that. But, you know, it was really a good place, centralized place. We started adding surveys to it. Right. So people can, we have a, like a little weekly survey, everything. Any tips on how to get them to fill that out? Any tips on how to get that? Unveiled? We do like um, a loan officer making career number year, six figures. Like is a $20 uh, Amazon card work like it, like it might yeah. in about by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do a lot of uh, raffling for those that participate and things mm -hmm. along that nature. Um, that works. Um, sometimes it's just like, okay, I'm not going to answer a question about what's my favorite you know, cupcake flavor, you know, but yeah. um, it's fun. I mean, for those that actually do it and you learn a lot about people going through that and um, it's, it's anonymous. So it really doesn't, we're, we're just trying to gauge in the organization who likes what, who favors with what, do we communicate well on this particular rollout? Um, how are you feeling? You know, would you prefer to work from home if we, you know, as we look at strategy for the rest of the year? So we are able to gauge a lot of how the employees feel by just doing those little weekly surveys. Yeah. I mean, that's where I see like mobile apps going in the industry. I don't think there's enough of them. I've been saying it since 2013 when the average person looked at their phone for 18 minutes. I know because that's when we started the company. Now it's four hours and 35 minutes. Right. And, and, and it's, and so I think it's not just creating a better manufacturing view but it's asking those questions up front in an app that's pretty normal these days. Like, how would you like to be communicated with? I just think surveys are so awesome. And if you use them appropriately, that's right. You can get so much better, faster. And so even, even that is like, would you rather be text, email? Like the, the reason that you don't ask that question up front is mostly because you don't have the tech. Because if you did, that would be the first question to ask. And then you take your outsourcing on the back end. 
and then you try and, and merge them together. Um, yeah. So internal, external, I have just a couple questions here. We're almost at the end. So you were in charge of moder- modernizing the brand after just speaking how you modernized your intranet and how I spoke about modernizing the, the user experience, right? Delivering, what split would you do to, to now deliver excellence on moder- modernizing uh, internally and externally? <laughs> right. So part of, um, you know, our modernization, I would say, from a customer experience, because, right, that's who at the end of the day, you're delivering excellence to that end customer, whether it be a correspondent client, a broker or consumer. And, um, you know, for for us this year, um, we did probably the largest technology project that this firm has seen in over 30 years. Um, and that was a re-implementation of our LOS. Um, we basically, um, you know, as a firm, when I came in in 2018, we were basically heavily corresponded at that time, but we really wanted to expand our wholesale space, get back in that game, as well as expand our retail platform. And we've been able to do that, right? We've been able to grow substantially um, through that. But one of the things that I think kept us from being optimized internally, as well as giving a consumer a better experience was our technology, right? So, you know, we we batted back and forth, right? I've been asked this question numerous times because there's a large part of the industry that's on this platform today. It is one of the um, biggest ones out there. And, um, you know, they said, how, you know, what made you decide to re-implement versus buy or build, right? Um, and, Really, for us, what we were using wasn't broken. However, the platform itself is extremely customizable. So without the proper change management and controls in place and governance around what you are um, allowing to happen within your organization from a technical perspective, if you don't have tight reins and guardrails around that, right, things can get out of hand really fast. Right. Because now you have like an indexer calling technology saying, I want this, this and this. Well, they're just going to do it. Right. Because there's no control in place. And so you got to really define that culture first and then start thinking about, okay, now that we've established that. okay, now what are we going to do with with this? Right. And and our decision was a re-implementation. Right. So when I look at that, which we just started in pilot this month, um, when I look at that and I get the feedback from people that's like, this is the best platform I've ever been on. There was really a lot of time we put into it down to the click level. How did we minimize five clicks down to two clicks? Um, you know, what was streamlined for products, making sure, you know, things are talking to one another. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at anywhere from about 30 um, to 35% savings um, on the front end, which then translates into um, faster turn times and a better consumer experience, right? Not having to ask for the same things over and over again, right? You've now cleaned that up from a technology perspective, right? And uh, that, that, that yields a that better customer experience. Does everything run through the LOS or do you create a database outside of it now that, that, you use yeah. the LOS to fill it, but the, everything runs off of, 
Uh Yep. Our our single source of loan data is that LOS. However, we do, um, you know, we do feed into a a, a enterprise data warehouse, right, that then takes that data and is able to bring in data from like HR and, you know, other different platforms within the organization to be able to provide insight on a lot of different things, right? So reporting is key in your organization. Um, You know, you got to have a mechanism to be able to gather data and make decisions off of that data, right? So like the origination side, would you say keep improving that? Or at some point, and are you guys leading the way? It seems to me like there's a gap of post-close technology talking to operational technology. Yeah, so I think we're ahead of the game already. Okay, you or the Uh, industry? We as an organization are ahead uh, right now. Uh, We use a platform called Trekvia. Um, that's, uh, they're based out of Denver, Colorado, and, uh, they get a little plug there, but, um, you know, they are a low code software, um, solution where they, you can use them actually from an enterprise perspective throughout your organization. So when you think about post-closing, it's a perfect solution for that because you're able to build workflow within that. And there's a built-in API with that our particular LOS so that data can be transferred back and forth, right, Um, in the applicable fields. I'm also able to um, connect and create applications that basically uh, collate and gather data that I can now communicate to ops. So, for example, QA, I'm sorry, QC, um, compliance and and post-closing, so like government and insuring uh, defects, investor suspense, things of that nature that can now be fed back to um, the chain, right, of the, the food chain of how we clear, clear those things and then how they come back into post-closing. Um, and then you get reporting and dashboards off of that. So I really, I really feel like 100% without a doubt, we are ahead of the game there with the partnership with those guys. But Enterprise-wide, I mean, you can use this anywhere, right? You can you can use it to to do your QA work. You could use it. I, I'm using it in credit risk today. So there's there's a lot of different solutions like that out there that you just have to give it a go, right? Um, because their domains have not historically been mortgage, right? They've been in kind of the manufacturing, you know, medical type stuff. Um, but there's some of those platforms that you can repurpose for. Um, that's a, that's a golden nugget there. And if people want to find out more, Sarah has a beautiful video on their website, right? Where, oh where you get the more detail on, on what is needed to, to close that. So that, that's, that's awesome. Um, before we go, I like, so I always am a firm believer in you need some sort of volunteer type purpose uh, to go along with, with what you're doing. So you guys have, what's called CASA. Is, is that, do you guys still CASA. doing that? CASA? CASA, yeah. So court appointed special advisors. Can you just tell us what, what that is? Absolutely. Appreciate um, and, and I apologize if I get a little emotional here, but you know, when we started looking and again, I, uh, I, I know I've mentioned we start, I started at the firm in 2018. It was really important to me because I even do this with our VPO providers. I want to know what their, you know, their corporate social responsibility is. And that was really important to me with our firm as well as, you know, yes, we did some philanthropy here and there, but I really wanted a focus, like what were we going to do? How were we going to support it? And um, kind of, 
I was talking earlier about a collaborative work environment. We had lots of submissions. We opened it up to the organization and got lots of submissions of, of different things to look at. And, um, you know, and we did a voting process and um, CASA, uh, who was one of the ones that I had recommended, made the cut right in Southeast their corporate um, social responsibility. Um, it's the thing that we give, right, too. And um, CASA is, um, and, you, and you listed off court-appointed special advocates. These are for, this group goes out and um, basically advocates for children that are in homes where violence is um, there. Um, you know, they've been passed on to another um, relative and they don't have time for them. And the child itself is very much involved in a court proceeding, right? Um, and sometimes they're too small um, to understand what they really want, right? So this CASA, this person that is kind of connected to this kid, right, is able to work with them, get to know them. Um, it's not fostering, it's not adoption, it's none of that kind of stuff. This is like true, like spend, like almost like a mentor. These people well, like are a guardian angel, having some guardian angel coming in to try shoulder. to advocate for what's best for that child versus somebody that really doesn't have any insight to, you know, what the kid's favorite color is, what their favorite sport is, you know, what, what they like to do in their spare time. How do they feel with this? How do they feel with that? Um, you know, these are, these are not counselors, although you do go through a, a very, um, very in-depth training to become a CASA, but there are other ways that you can um, work with CASA. And then as our firm, CASA is on my bucket list. Um, at one point, I will become a CASA advocate at some point in my life. Wow. But for our firm specifically, um, we do a lot of, um, you know, donations. We do a lot of work with um, providing kids, you know, backpacks and, you know, things for Christmas and um, do a lot of work with them. We did a huge drive last year that brought in a significant amount of uh, cash for them. And, you know, and then we did a match on that from a corporate perspective. So doing a lot of drives like that. And that's how we try to give back to community. And, you know, there's a lot of times that you feel like, hey, I want to go and I want to do this. We're very, very hyper-focused and very committed to CASA. Um, and, and then lastly, I'll just say, this is very near and dear to me personally. And for me to be able to give back as an adult is huge. Huge. Yeah, I can... So these are the future dreamers, leaders, and homeowners as as well. And right. you are a product of your environment. So obviously with positive reinforcement, it's easier to get to um, where you want to be than, you know, a negative environment, almost a hopeless yeah. environment. And so I think what's really cool about that is I'm sure they catch on, like experience matters in that area, right? And catching on to what the manipulation that's probably occurring and being able to to protect the children, but very cool that, um, cause children's, uh, children is such a big part of the industry we're in, right? Like right. buying homes, they're in homes, they're dependents, uh, in homes. So I, I think what a great, I'm glad that one got, it looks like everybody voted that one up. Oh and, yeah. And you guys stand <laughs> Everyone got it. voted that one in and, and like, it just, it, it, you know, and again, I, this, this resonates with me very personally because you can come from a very negative environment that like that, Mm -hmm. and have a lot of positive influence and drive and ambition to get to a place where you want to be 
And if you have the support that is there, whether it be through additional friends and family and or mentorship, um, you can go from an, a situation like that to being a COO at a company. That. I mean, that's an incredible story. I'm sure I, I'm getting goosebumps. So I'm sure everybody that that is listening. And if you are, you know, listening, we will put in the comments a link for how people could donate or get involved or at least follow along with what you're doing. Um, I really appreciate all the time, Sarah. I'm looking forward to the Clubhouse event um, coming up or when a lot of people are watching probably already happened. So thank you for giving all that time to charities back to the industry and just helping us progress forward. Thank you again. Yeah, appreciate it, Mike. Thanks.